Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, ridiculous historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it's a it's a lovely day today. Uh, we have just survived what we were told was going to be the storm of the century or the storm of the decade. Excuse me. Hi, my name's Ben. Hey, Ben. My name's Noel. It's weird. I I, I saw all of the the uh, the preliminary um, forecasts and all that stuff, and it seemed like it was really going to be scary, and uh, it was a little bit stormy, and then I slept right through the worst of it. Um, I think I must have just been exhausted, and storms kind of tend to put me to sleep anyway, but I woke up, and luckily my neighborhood wasn't hit, but I know that some were. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was a system that moved through the state overall, not just here in Atlanta. Uh, super producer Casey Pegram, uh, how was your storm experience? Yeah, I mean, I stayed up late to just kind of uh, keep an eye on the radar and everything because, you know, tornadoes freak me out. But um, the worst of it kind of uh, passed by us here, so it was no big deal. Nice. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, peek behind the curtain. Casey and I live walking distance from each other, so I kind of had a good idea, or at least an optimistic idea of how how your experience was. But uh, but yeah, even though the uh, the hits keep coming here in 2020, uh, we are continuing to make episodes about weird, fascinating, dare I say, ridiculous people, places, and events of the past. And this one, this one is a weird one. This is a this is a doozy. Noel, do you want to set the scene for us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so it's 6.30 p.m. on the 16th of January in the year 1749. Uh, there's an advertisement that has graced the page 
pages of the General Advertiser, a London newspaper, promising the most incredible, magical performance anyone has ever seen um, at the Royal Theater. It promises that this conjurer, which uh, we'll get into the specifics, the difference between an illusionist and a conjurer and a magician, would perform feats uh, such as being able to call out the identity of any member of the audience that might be wearing a mask that was, of course, optional. Uh, the notion that this conjurer would play uh, music that could sound like any instrument on an ordinary cane uh, or walking stick that he would get uh, donated to him by a member of the audience and that he could impersonate or dare the, the advertisement pointed out uh, took it even a step further become embody any person alive or dead and then the biggest claim of all that had people's imaginations running wild that this conjurer would be able to take an ordinary uh, wine bottle like you would see at any any local pub and disappear into it. The language used was climb into it. Yeah, that's that's true. That's what was advertised at least. Before we dive in, I want to make maybe this is a disclaimer, maybe this is a confession. Uh I want to make it known. Uh I have always had a deep instinctual uh, distrust and dislike of stage magicians. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the only biases I really have about humans. Uh, I, I think they're smug. I think they're smug and I, I don't cotton to it, but the show must go on, right? And these claims that were made in this advertisement, uh, these claims hit home and people across London mobbed the place trying to get into the theater. I think by 7 p.m. it was absolutely packed, and there were still people outside waiting to get inside, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the demand was outrageous. Um, and this this, uh, this this particular chronological account comes from an article on HistoryExtra.com. I think they might be taking a few liberties with the timing, because if I'm not mistaken, this article uh, or this advertisement would have been circulating for a little bit longer than just the 30 minutes leading up to the performance. But uh, whatever the case might be, there was uh, a an announcement uh, as people packed into this theater, an announcement that the conjurer or, or stage magician wasn't wasn't showing up and he wasn't there and that if anyone wanted to they could get their money back uh, and this resulted in uh, a absolutely massive riot uh, and somewhere in the darkness of the theater a, a very well-to-do gentleman uh, was looking on and snickering because he had just won a uh, pretty serious bet that he could fill a theater by promising the gullible public uh, impossible feats that would be performed. So let's dive in. For additional details, quite like the way the VintageNews.com sets up this story, magicians, they say, or conjurers, are a smaller subset of a larger thing, the street performing scene. And, and you know what we say when we say magicians are conjurers. Sleight of hand, is this your card? Uh, holy smokes, how did you guess that number? Even though that's more in the range of mentalists. And these people, despite my personal feelings about them, are uh, are historically very popular. 
And usually they would work in their own kind of circuits, or maybe they'd have their own kind of turf, sort of like drug dealers today. Uh, Instead of, you know, they were solo acts. There would often be only one magician in your town, and uh, they wouldn't be part of a larger network of performers. And because of this, uh, there was a mystique surrounding them. They were they were enigmatic. They were mysterious, and a lot of that is probably a uh, a cultural uh, descendant of earlier beliefs about hedge magicians, local healers, or people who are alleged to be sorcerers. And this popular perception is sort of uh, I mean, it's a key piece of why the guy who makes the bet is able to win the bet uh, because people still in the mid 1700s you know they might say well i you know magic ah, that's not real and these are modern days of the 18th century but then maybe in private or maybe at home they're like i don't know i don't know though because how did he know it was my card you know what i mean yeah i don't know ben you and i kind of differ a little bit on our feelings towards stage magicians yeah, like birds. Uh, corvids are some of my favorite creatures. I know you are a friend. You are a bird friend. Uh, there should that would be like your um, Native American nickname if if you ever pulled the dances with wolves. You would be Ben, friend of bird, uh, Bolin, possibly. That's just just my my particular idea there. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really like magicians and always have. Like I, I went and saw David Copperfield when I was a kid and um, really enjoyed that. I actually met him and got him to sign a poster and all of that. And I recently um, had the the pleasure of going to the magic castle in, in Los Angeles with, with my kid. And it was a really good time. I, I just, you know, I, I kind of like the whole suspension of disbelief thing and, and not knowing. And obviously I uh, am armed with the knowledge that magic isn't particularly real. And so I don't necessarily wouldn't fall into the same boat as a lot of these Londoners of the time who maybe in the back of their mind were like, huh, maybe there is real magic. And I am distrustful of this individual because of what you said about, you know, the history of things like hedge magicians and and uh, wizards and conjurers that were actually doing it for real. Um, so I'm able to kind of put all that aside and just have a good old time. But I definitely see where you're coming from as well, Ben. Uh, but this um, kind of distrust, uh, you can sort of take distrust and almost move it into the realm of uh, fascination. Uh, distrust and fascination are kind of two sides of the same coin where um, you can really work people into a frenzy by capitalizing on the on that suspicion and being like, well, I've got to see this if it's true. The idea that, that a person could disappear into a bottle, that's crazy town. And uh, I, I need to know just for my own edification, for the safety of my community, if there's someone like this out there. Um, and that is is what uh, caused people to flock to the new theater in Haymarket on that evening of January the 16th of 1749. Yep. I, I was thinking about how best to give the context of the excitement that gripped the city. Uh, And the best way that I could, I I spent some time thinking about this. The best way I could describe it is uh, the way people on the internet have been reacting to the Tiger King here in these are days of quarantine. Everybody knew about this uh, upcoming performance. London was talking about this everywhere from the like the the elite gentlemen's clubs to your local pub uh people were excited and then sometimes you'll see it described the bottle he's going to jump in sometimes you see it described as a quart bottle sometimes as a wine bottle and 
as people were were talking about this, maybe it was a slow news day, maybe like uh, like the Tiger King now, people just wanted something to distract them. But either way you cut it, this is a huge success. When we finally roll around to the night of the show, remember, there's not really such a thing as a fire code in these days. Uh, the theater is literally packed to the gills. Every place you could put a person is taken up by a person. People are standing. Uh, people are waiting outside, you know, trying to slip in uh, by any means necessary. And it rolls around to seven o'clock, right? The audience is waiting there. And a lot of these people understand have been standing in this very packed crowd for a long time and nothing. Crickets. Casey, could we maybe get a cricket sound there? There's not even like an opening act, right? No, there's not. Um, and people were already getting a bit restless. Uh, the theater was oversold to the point where people were like, I mean, it was, you know, there was no air conditioning in these times. It was very uncomfortable. Every single box seat, every single position in the pit area and the gallery was taken. Uh, standing room around the edges was completely packed. And eventually a, a gentleman came out onto the stage, a representative of the theater, uh, to the sound of groans and whistles and catcalls and pounding canes and feet. Uh, and this person walked out uh, bowing and uh, in, in apology um, and said that uh, if the uh, performer wasn't going to appear in the next quarter hour, that refunds would be available at the door. Um, and this was followed by another uh, susurrus, as you like to say, Ben, a hubbub, a commotion with groans and, and hisses and cat calls and people <laughs> mocking this poor hapless sap that was just doing his job, literally shooting the messenger. Yeah, my favorite part of this, this cacophony of groans and hisses is, is this. There's a guy who's in the pit of the theater. So he's standing. There's a guy in the pit who, who decides to shout out. He's like, uh, if you pay me double, I'll crawl inside a pint bottle. And then someone's like, ah, ha, ha, that guy. That guy's doing crowd work. So he, he, bought, he bought a little time, basically. Yeah. He, he bought a little time. People kind of got uh, back in good spirits. Uh, but that wasn't going to last for long. No, it only lasts for about 15 minutes when people are like, oh, haha, ha, tension's relieved. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Before we continue, I know it sounds like maybe we're making a big deal about this, but before we continue, it's necessary to know that the, the when when you hear the phrase theater crowd, uh, we mean something very different in terms of socioeconomic status and behavior. Uh, because nowadays when you hear like theater crowd, you might think people going to Broadway or people are dressing up in suits and nice, uh, nice outfits of some sort. And then they're having a dinner at a nice restaurant or before. No, 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 not at all. Uh, these places can turn ugly pretty quickly. And the crowd back then is much more like what you would expect out of, um, uh, out of a concert. You know what I mean? Than what you would expect out of your local theater's production of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely like there was all all this uh, call and response and audience kind of uh, participation and much more of just like, you know, there, there was no decorum. This was not like a white glove opera situation. This was very much uh, a lot of the upper crust mixing with the quite lower crust. Um, and it was the great equalizer was everyone was fascinated by the idea of, of what this uh, this magician conjurer was capable of, you know, from dukes and and uh, and royalty and relatives relatives of, of such uh, to the lowest uh, peasants, you know, and the tickets were not absurdly overpriced either. I mean, this was something that, you know, you would pay a premium for the box seats, obviously, but down in the gallery, as they call it, or the pit, that's where the lower class uh, seats would, would be. So that's also probably where the uh, these this riot that was about to take place reached a fever pitch much more quickly with like the, you know, the swells up in the up in the loge. Is the loge good or bad? I can never remember. Uh, up in the, the the, the the expensive seats um, were able to make a getaway much much more effectively, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's interesting you point that out, Noel, because the upper class actually started the riot or or set the spark here because uh, there was some guy some some real winner up in the boxes who after fifteen minutes or so uh, from that previous crowd work joke he got bored or he decided he would just stir the pot. He threw a lit candle onto the stage, and this was sort of like this was taken. <laughs> it might this was this was taken as an announcement to riot, I guess. 
Sure seems like it. I mean, it sounds like the equivalent of like throwing a Molotov cocktail over the the wall, you know, like during like some kind of like armistice, you know, really, uh, you know, like setting the powder keg on fire, uh, literally. Uh, what a thing to do, you know, especially from someone that was, you know, coming from such a protected position too. pretty, pretty lame. That's right, Noel. So the mob rises up. Like all at once, they're tearing the seats from the floor. They're upending the benches. They decide that they're going to destroy the theater. And, you know, mob mentality is is just an insane thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been in like a protest gone wrong or a riot that goes out of hand, uh, but people just start breaking stuff. It doesn't matter what they're protesting. It's crazy. It's sort of like a much more violent version of the way people react when somebody yawns. You know, like everyone gets on board super quickly. It's almost like this knee-jerk reaction. That's what happened. There was this, uh, you know, the sound of like women screaming and their, you know, their dudes or escorts uh, just clawing their way to get to one of these exits. And again, the people up in the balconies were much more uh, at an advantage here. Um, Soon, there's you know, everyone's just climbing over each other in fear of being trampled. People are pulling up the seats, uh, throwing it into the fire on the stage, essentially. Uh, the curtain was pulled down and ripped into shreds and made into like a weird like flag that was hoisted up on a pole on the stage. Um, all of the money that was taken in, which was, you know, a sold out house. Uh, I don't have a number as to exactly how many people, but this sounds like a medium level uh theater, which would probably be in the, you know, 500 plus, I would say, to, to have this kind of chaos going, maybe even as many as a thousand. Um, some of this almost sounds like a, like an old style kind of Broadway type theater or something on the West End that you'd see in London. Uh, all of that money is looted uh, and the place is just left in an absolute shambles um, with no one really to blame, no one to be held accountable. Right. Because these people are acting as a collective uh, they also, after they after they tear down everything inside the theater, including like pulling down the the boxes. After they've done this, they've essentially gutted and dismantled the theater, and then they carry all the stuff they broke down into the street, and then they make a uh, a bonfire, and then they put the curtain of the theater on a pole, and then by the time the guards get there they can't really do anything. They just sort of warm themselves by the fire. Ben, I misunderstood a little bit when I was reading this material. I thought that they had actually, because the the candle was on the stage, that maybe there was a fire inside. But I think I got a little carried away. It's true. They took all this stuff that essentially became the equivalent of like scrap wood out into like a Les Miserables style barricade in the streets. They then set on fire and, uh, and you know, hoisted this flag, not on the stage at all, but in the street uh, up around that fire. What? craziness it seems like there must have been something else at play do you think it was because they were just so disappointed they weren't going to get to see somebody jump into a bottle do you think they felt as though they'd been had maybe and they kind of knew that it was too good to be true and that's why they reacted so violently or were people of this time just kind of wild animals that did crazy violent things yeah, I was thinking about that because, you know, a lot of sociologists spend their lives studying how uh, riots and, and outbreaks of panic begin. And sometimes it's a uh, it's a projection, right? They're reacting to something that they can use as a stand in for a real 
uh, a real concern or or another social pressure. So I was looking into 1749 London, and I didn't see you know like a, a a huge crisis that was happening. That doesn't mean that there wasn't one. It could just mean that theater was a very different thing back then. Uh, but we do know. Despite the fact that there were, as you said, multiple socioeconomic classes there, uh, they all reacted the same way. Uh, newspapers started using this as a, um, a, a as a way to ridicule the public and say things that the journalists and comedians have said for years and years, which was that maybe a person is smart, but people together are stupid. Uh, and they went they went a little hard on the paint. Like they didn't just mention this in newspaper articles or in broadsheets. They they issued pamphlets that talked about how dumb the public was. They made fake articles explaining why the conjurer didn't show up. It was kind of like they were doing like onion articles about this, basically. Oh man, some of these are really funny. Can we read a few? Uh, my favorite was the uh, this this promises an appearance by the most wonderful and surprising Doctor Benembe Zamapongo, occultist and body surgeon to Emperor Monomungi. Uh, will perform on Saturday next at the Little Tea in the Haymarket. The following surprising operations: uh, first, he desires any one of the spectators only to pull out his own eyes which as soon as he uh, as these are the, the way this is written is, is, is hard uh, as soon as he done the doctor will show them to any lady or gentleman then present to convince them there is no cheat and then replace them in the sockets as perfect and entire as ever uh, secondly he desires any officer uh, or any other to rip up his own belly which when he has done he without any equivocation takes out his bowels washes them uh, and returns them to their place without the person suffering the least hurt. Thirdly, he opens the head of a, a J of P, not sure what that means, takes out his brains and exchanges them for those of a calf, the brains of a bow for those of an ass, and the hair of a bully for that of a sheep, which operations will render that person more sociable and rational creatures than they were ever in their own lives. That's a really long excerpt, and that's not even the whole thing. Like it goes on. Uh, I'm not going to put you through it, but that's that's like an example of how the uh, how the advertisements started shifting from because because I had been talking about how they were making fake explanations of what happened to the guy. They doubled down and started making explanation like making new fake things, right? Just like an onion article. Like here's another magician. Can't wait to see what this guy does. Right. And this one is just so beyond absurd. It involves people like literally being so stupid as to allow someone to pluck their eyeballs out or uh, remove their brains from their head and implies that if they put the brain of a sheep back in there, that they would end up smarter than they were in the first place. So this really is a completely mocking the public. And you can find more of this in the Paris uh, Review uh, org article on the great bottle conjurer hoax. It's really, really great. I love the Paris Review, by the way. Not to um, go, I, I don't want to go on like a really lengthy excerpt here, but just for examples that you can find in Paris Review, uh, there's one guy who says he's going to jump down his own throat. There's another guy who says, I'm going to change myself into a rattle. And then someone said, I'm going to shoot myself with two pistols, uh, once through my stomach and once through my brain. Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's the kind of trick you can do, but you can only really do it once.
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. No one was really talking at first about how this situation came to pass. Socioeconomic factors aside, what was the origin of this? It turns out that this hoax was all a bet. It was all based on a bet. And even though people didn't really know 
what was happening, uh, we learned through an art with the help of an article by Jerry Walton over at the Vintage News uh, that there was a real story. People of London initially suspected the theater manager Samuel Foote had perpetrated a hoax. Now, note here, the theater manager is not the same guy as the theater owner. That's a guy named John Potter. He just gets the money from owning it. Both of these dudes say they're innocent. They say there's somebody else behind this. We don't know who it is, but he made all the arrangements. He paid us. And then Potter, (laughs) I think Potter is worried that he might be the victim of violence here because he says, look, If you guys hadn't stolen the box of ticket receipts, I would refund the cost for every single person in the audience. He didn't even mention, if you guys hadn't destroyed my theater, I would refund it. Oh, I know. This is the guy that got screwed in all of this, the poor small business owner. I mean, you know, uh, no one was injured in any of this. Um, I think the worst thing that happened was uh, there was a a young nobleman who slightly injured his chin, um, and also the the brother of the king at the time, the Duke of Cumberland, um, was able to escape but sadly lost his jeweled sword. His jeweled sword, Ben. I mean, you don't want to walk around with an undecorated sword like a jabroni. Imagine what people would say. You've got a certain expectation. But here's the thing. We don't know 100% for sure who the culprit was, but we're like, I would say 80% sure. It was a guy named John Montague, the second Duke of Montague. Uh, he he had the bona fides for it. He was a known practical joker, right? Uh, he was he he fit the profile of the kind of prankster who would think this was worth a, a giggle. Yeah, he was a known uh, sort of um, man child, I guess. Uh, there is a description of him uh, by his mother in law uh, as. Um, Quote, having all the talents that lie in things only natural in boys of 15 years old. Uh, And he, at the time, was about 42 years old. Uh, He would uh, occasionally, this is again from her account, get people into his garden and wet them with squirts. (laughs) And uh, invite people to his country houses and put things in beds to make them itch. And 20 such pretty fancies as these. What a guy. Here's why we think that he was involved. So earlier in the year, earlier in 1749, there were a bunch of uh, distinguished Englishmen that were talking about human gullibility, right? About how credulous people can be. And among them were the Duke of Portland, the Duke of Montague, and the Earl of Chesterfield. This comes to us again from the Paris Review. One of the Dukes said something like, I will wager that I'll let a man advertise the most impossible thing in the world. He will find fools enough in London to fill a playhouse and pay handsomely for the privilege of being there. And then accordingly, you know, apparently the Earl of Chesterfield is like, for sure, surely, uh, if a man should say that he would jump into a quart bottle, nobody would believe that. Uh, And they argued back and forth about this. Uh, and apparently the Duke of Montague made a wager. You know, if this guy existed now, I would not be surprised if he had a show like Nathan For You or Jackass or something, uh, and, and people would watch it. But that's that's what we think happened. We think it was a bet 
that went wrong for the public, but went very, very right for the merry prankster, the Duke of Montague. Yeah, but again, like his summer homes and this guy's like totally screwing over his small business owner. I mean, I call it a small business. I mean, obviously, the dude, it's a, it's a theater. Dude obviously had, you know, means, uh, but totally annihilated this uh, working gentleman's livelihood, you know, for a lark. I mean, this guy seems like a real piece of work, if you ask me the worst of the worst of the upper class. And this really represents the kind of flippant, you know, uh, banality of evil kind of thing uh, for his own amusement, just watching the world burn because he's too bored to do anything else. And, and the description from his mother-in-law holds true. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the Bullingdon club. Have you guys ever heard of the Bullingdon club? No, sir. It's an elite dining club at oxford university dining clubs are you know just what they sound like it's where a social group gets together and they have dinner discussion sometimes they have guest speakers but the bullington club is different from the uh more prestigious dining clubs because they have this practice where they would they were known for going on these big banquets and then vandalizing the restaurants they went to and this is like not something where a party gets out of hand. It's what they do because they think it's a funny prank. They also like they they're really hoity toity. Membership is super expensive and uh, super exclusive. The one thing they do that makes it right. One of the reasons Bullington is continuing for so long is their members have to have a tradition of paying on the spot for damage. So like how aristocratic and jerk-like is that you intentionally ruin someone's restaurant and they say you've done thousands of dollars of damage and then you say okay here's 50 grand get out of my face like that's the the kind of mentality and we can joke about it but 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 i think socially there's a lot to be said here and that's that's where the bottle conjurer hoax ends Thankfully, right? The the city didn't descend into multiple riots over this. It was just the one, right? It was just the one. Yeah. But it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's an interesting testament to uh, the uh, willful suspension of disbelief by the public. Um, the idea of all of the kind of tricklings of history of England uh, and belief in magic and the kind of high watermark of where those two things sort of meet uh, and become more of a modern thing uh, as people sort of stopped believing in magic. Uh, but I really do think that the actual riotous nature of this had to do with um, people were just so worked up over the potential of what this thing had to offer that they felt as though they'd been cheated in some way. I mean, obviously, they were going to get their money back, but they that wasn't enough for them. They wanted to actually uh, you know, tear the place apart piece by piece and, and set it all on fire in the streets. Um, that is a very fascinating impulse to me. And for the mob to have taken to it so quickly uh, really speaks to kind of the mentality of the time, I think. It's interesting. Agreed. And we'd like to hear your stories about some more uh, terrible, terrible things in history that are associated directly with stage magicians. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to hear about them especially. I'm kidding. JK, JK, not JK. Uh, but thank you for tuning in, folks. Uh, thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Uh, missed him last episode in the credits, but shout out, as always, to our own Alex Williams, uh, the designated Ridiculous History composer, at least for that song that we love. Oh, yeah. Got, gotta love Alex. Uh, thanks to Gabe Lugier, our research associate extraordinaire. Thanks to Christopher Haas 
Otis here in spirit, Jonathan Strickland, the notorious uh, and, and and dubious quizster. Um, we'll have to have him back from his particular bunker. I think it's like a hollowed out um, snow cap in Antarctica or something, right? Yeah, it's it, it's been a while, you know, and he was already kind of a... Well, I guess madness is its own isolation. You know what I mean? It's true. <laughs> so... It's, I hope you hear that. Uh, so as always, um, as always, we uh, we can't wait to get back to you on the next episode. Uh, you can find us all over the internet. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, uh, as as I always like to say for any show we do, uh, we are open to criticism or complaints. To send them to directly to our complaint email. That is Jonathan Strickland at iHeartMedia.com. Open twenty four seven. Don't. Be- don't be afraid. It's going to kill me. Don't be afraid uh, to make your voice known specifically there. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.